2: action network podcast if you are even remotely a savage you'll run these people over in a second oh! Welcome into the Action Network podcast presented by the FanDuel Sportsbook. I'm your host today, Brendan Glasheen, joined by Sean Zerillo and Billy Ward. We have a UFC betting preview. We, oui, wee. Oui, we make ourselves, uh, we head to Paris uh, for this week's uh, UFC action. Paris, France for 11 fights, 6 on the main card, 5 prelims. Uh, breaking all things down, we will dive into underdogs, props, and then we'll finish up with our best bets, possibly just a final bet. We'll find out. Uh, Zirillo, we'll go to you first, as we normally do. I know you guys uh, carried the load last week. Appreciate that. I was off uh, this week. We've got uh, Cyril Gone taking on Sergey Spivak, and that is a line right now. Looking at Fanduel, uh, based on the the latest movement, uh, Gone it, it continues to rise as far as being a favorite at minus one seventy eight. Spivak at plus one forty four. How do you uh,
1: analyze that line movement throughout the course of the week and how you'd like to bet it? I agree with the line movements. Bet on it, minus 170 last night. Would still bet him up to about minus 190, minus 195 today. Certainly projected him as a bigger favorite, closer to minus 215 than the market indicates. And I think this is a very binary fight. And I would also lean to the unders in this matchup, the under two and a half, probably the under three and a half uh, as a parlay piece. But I, I do think this one probably ends in the first, 7.5 to 12.5 minutes, so the under 1.5, under 2.5 interests me as well in any sort of binary fight. Gon, clearly the better striker. Spivak, the better grappler, but I do think he's going to struggle to get takedowns here just because of the way he goes about them. One, he has a 3-inch reach advantage to close, and given the fact that there's a huge striking discrepancy, I don't think Gon is going to let him inside very easily. He's great with his range weapons, his jab, his keep kicks. He's great at keeping opponents off of him. And Spivak has also fought a lot of his recent fights in that UFC Apex cage. So he's going to a bigger cage now where he's going to struggle even more to close that distance. And he also doesn't have the type of wrestling style that we see have success against Gan. He doesn't have that American single leg, double leg, chain wrestling type of style. He looks for wrist control. He looks to get into the clinch. And he looks to trip guys or go for upper body takedowns, which I think Gan is going to be much better at defending with his Muay Thai abilities, with his clinch fighting than he would if he was going against more of an American style freestyle wrestler. So I think Gon has a good chance here to win those clinch positions to keep this fight standing and to eventually put Spivak away compared to other heavyweights. I don't think Spivak is particularly durable either. He sort of gets clipped and folds the moment he faces any sort of adversity when he was fighting against Tom Aspinall basically got to a clinch position, couldn't get the fight to the ground, ate one big punch or elbow. And that was the end of the fight. So, I don't think Spivak is particularly durable. I think Gahn's submission defense, the fact that, you know, he was submitted so quickly by Jon Jones, I think people are sort of baking that too much into the line. I don't think Spivak has nearly the type of offensive wrestling game that Jon Jones has. Not even a similar style, but, you know, just the type of style I don't think is going to have a ton of success grappling. Cyril Gahn. And one other thing I want to mention too, even when Spivak has been able to get guys down to the mat immediately, Derek Lewis They were able to pop back up. He sort of, Matt returned them, you know, wore them down with multiple takedown attempts, but it wasn't chain wrestling. Guys were able to pop right back up to their feet, and then he just sort of had to repeat the same technique. So I do think maybe he gets gone to the ground, but I expect gone to pop right back up to his feet. And the moment he gets at clear striking range and lands some clean shots on Spivak, I think that'll be the end of the fight. So gone on the money line gone by knockout I think are my favorite ways to play this fight but as I mentioned the under under one and a half under two and a half caught my eye as well and fight to end inside the distance seems like an absolute blocker
2: so an implied probability for gone hovering close to 65 percent Billy are you in the same boat as Zerillo does the line movement make sense how would you like to bet the main event
0: yeah 100 percent. the lines kind of move both ways a little bit I think when lines were first posted gone was a little bit on the other side of minus 200 kind of came back down for a little bit and now the sharper money is pushing it back closer to where it should be but i'm pretty much with everything sean said you know people are overreacting to gone looking bad and grappling in his last couple fights one of those was against john jones almost every human being on the planet is going to look bad grappling against john jones like we can't weigh that too heavily and before that, yes, Francis Naganu took him down, but Gan was not expecting that to be grappling at all. Like, he was not preparing takedown defense, he wasn't preparing get-ups, he had no clue that that's what was coming. You could even argue in the John Jones fight, he might not have been prepared for that immediate wrestling attack, like, we talked about it beforehand, you know, does Jones try to strike with him, does he try to grapple? This, it's very clear that his opponent is going to try to grapple with him, which makes it a lot easier to defend, he knows what the mission is. And Gon is not a bad grappler, you know, like he's had his moments against tough guys, but we all forget he won his first two UFC fights by submission. He has an arm triangle and a heel hook in the UFC. If you wanted something real juicy, kind of off the wall here, I think Gannon submission lines could be a little bit fun. Just he gets taken down, but he scrambles out or locks up a leg submission, something crazy because Vivek's getting desperate on the takedowns. That wouldn't totally shock me. But my favorite bet here is just the the Gannon money line. You know, I could see him finishing it early knockouts submission wouldn't shock me or just outpointing him for 25 minutes against a guy growing increasingly desperate to get takedowns but not finding him so minus 178 is fine with Sean probably about to minus 190 or so is where I'd start to rethink it
1: yeah and if this goes 25 minutes I feel like gone has to be minus 1000 on the minute winning, yeah. right Billy like if this is if you're playing a decision only here how does Spivak win a decision you know with 25 minutes of control everybody gets up against them so I, I don't really see how is Spivak's control, or lack of control, I should say, on the mat, how he wins enough minutes over 25 to win a decision? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've said it to... with other
0: fights a couple times where, like, it's just really hard to keep wrestling a guy for that long, especially these big guys. The cardio demands on them is much harder. I don't think Spivak's an especially big heavyweight, but that won't help him hold Gon down either. Gon should be a little bit bigger and stronger. I think Gon actually weighed in a little bit lighter, but definitely in better shape, definitely more muscular. So, That'll make it hard to keep him down and win minutes for a long time, to your point.
2: So I'm sensing from both of you that there really won't be a, a live possibility on this, considering how you feel about the favorite.
1: You know, th- that's a really good point, Brennan. If Gondas get taken down in the first round uh, or, you know, loses the first round at the line, moves closer to a pick him after the first round because Spivak lands a few takedowns or, you know, he's, he's holding on to him, hanging on to him, takes him down. back yeah. gets back up takes him down again, right? Spivak gets enough top control to win the round, but it looks like he's getting a little tired, or you know he's probably going to get a little tired after that first round. Yeah, I think if Gon loses that first round, I'm going to look to bet him live after round one. I believe Spivak has been scheduled for multiple five-round fights, uh, but has not gone to the championship rounds yet in the UFC. So don't really know what his cardio is going to look like down the stretch. Gon's cardio didn't look amazing, though, against Francis and Gano either. So this would get really sloppy if it ends mm-hmm. up getting to the fourth round, but based on the way the style should play out and the way Spivak needs to win, I would expect him to wrestle early. And if he has success, yeah, I would jump it on gong live. Any thoughts on that, Billy? A live angle, possibly? Do do you think it even happens? Yeah, that's the bigger
0: doubt. with it. If that does happen the way Zarello pointed out, absolutely. I would 100% take that. Even if he doesn't look tired, just knowing how much more energy it takes to wrestle than it does to stay on the outside and throw one twos, it's a pretty clear point. Not so sure that we get that opportunity though. But yeah, if it's there, by all means, I'll be jumping on it as well. I'm glad you asked the question because I probably would have missed it tomorrow and would be kicking myself if, if we didn't.
1: Well, I'm getting and the hang then of the thing. Same thing back. Gone in round one, which was like plus three fifty, caught my eye. So I, I think yeah. this could end quick. But yeah, if it extends, uh, you know, past five minutes, I, I think Gone is might be a, a good live entry. I just feel like we
2: constantly, especially with these main events, we we hit on the live angles and Billy you normally you go there first before I even ask um just feels like that's been a theme we, we bring that up uh, from time to time really a lot of the it's, time so.
0: it's tougher with heavyweights just because the finish rate is so much higher so my brain is not really thinking about what happens after the first round or two my I'm more like no there won't be a third round how can we bet this live if it ends three minutes in it's okay.
2: That's why we work together. Uh, on, <laughs> the brains mold together. Uh, moving on to the fight of the night. Uh, we've got Manon Fioro at minus 188 at FanDuel, and then Rose Namajunas at plus 152 uh, over at FanDuel, uh, using their odds, of course, uh, to break this one down.
1: Zerillo, same question. Uh, how do you look at the lines here and assess the fight? How do you want to bet it? And same answer, backing the French fighter. At about minus 190. Uh, I bet Fioro last night, closer to minus 175. That was an outlier number compared to the rest of the market. Again, a line I projected closer to about minus 215, minus 220. Thug Rose moving up in weight here. And normally when a fighter moves up in weight, they tend to have the speed advantage over their opponents while they're be at a power discrepancy, strength discrepancy. And I think Fioro is certainly going to be the more powerful hitter, the stronger fighter. I don't think Rose is going to have a speed advantage. Yeah. And that is a big problem for her. If she doesn't have a speed advantage, she's going to need takedowns to win this fight. And I think Fiora is going to be too strong for her. So the cardio to me, relatively even on either side. Uh, you know, Manon Fiora, a fighter i bet against in the past because I don't think she has the best cardio. And if she isn't able to get her opponents out of there in the first seven to 10 minutes, I think she's capable of losing third rounds at a relatively decent clip, but Thug Rose in the same respect, has lost third rounds throughout her UFC career fairly consistently. I think her title fight win over uh, Wang Li at, I believe it was the UFC 281 or 282, where she won the fourth and fifth round by landing takedowns against Wai Li. Mm-hmm. I think that kind of masked the fact that Rose has struggled with cardio throughout her career. So she's at a, well, she's, she's the better technical striker in this matchup. I will give her that. I think she's the more technical fighter, better technique, but output, power, aggression are all gonna favor Fiora. And as I said, if Rose doesn't land takedowns here and get top time, I struggle to see her winning minutes or winning decision. Uh and on top of that, I think Fiora much more capable of finishing this fight too. Again, you know, Rose's head kick knockout over Li Zhang kind of sticks in people's minds. Doesn't necessarily have major one hitter quitter power in those hands. And again, moving up a division, I think it's just gonna lessen the impact of those punches. So fioro she was about minus 400 against jennifer maya she's minus 190 minus 180 here against thug rose i don't think rose is a tougher fight than the maya fight was i think maya you know former title challenger in this division very capable skill set and very well-rounded and fioro kind of you know pushed her aside with relative ease so i think this is actually potentially an easier fight than what fioro has seen in her recent matchups with caitlin chikagian who i love um, I mean, she beat Myra Mayra Silva as well, who's probably about to challenge for a title. So yeah, Manon Fioro, in my eyes, may be a, bit, a little bit underrated. And Rose Namahun is typically uh, one of the most popular fighters on the roster and especially particularly popular betting pick whenever she's fighting, like Sean O'Malley is. So I would expect a lot of pop- public action on Thug Rose as an underdog this week, like you got with O'Malley a couple of weeks ago. But do you think the favorite is the right side?
2: Yeah, Billy, for this women's flyweight, and Zorillo broke this down, we've got Fighters going in different directions. Fioros, I've uh, yeah. got a five-fight win streak. And then uh, Rose, I'm Zerlo. I apologize if you mentioned this. I didn't catch it. But the moving of weight class, too, for Rose uh, yeah. heading into this one, too.
0: Yeah, Sean touched on that a little bit. It's tough. You know, we, as a podcast, broadly, I think are more in favor of fighters in their 30s going up a weight class than going down a weight class. Broad strokes. Don't love it here. That 10-pound jump from 115 to 125 is proportionately so much more than going from 45 to 55 or some of those other gaps. And especially for a fighter who I never thought was especially big at 115, like she was the weaker fighter against Wang Jai Li, she's not one that you thought, oh, that makes a ton of sense to go up. Your weight cut had to have been hard. I don't really see that here. Yeah, I mean, Sean nailed most of what I wanted to get to. It's very similar to the heavyweight fight with the French fighter with the better striking and probably the athletic ability against a fighter who needs to take them down in a big cage with a physical disadvantage that makes that hard. Only other thing I wanted to add is we were talking about Manon Fioro as like future champion next in line for the title, and then she's been off for close to a year. And in that time, Aaron Blanchfield has taken the world by storm. Valentina Shevchenko got dethroned, forcing a rematch. And now all of a sudden, this feels like a little bit of a step back for Fioro. Because if you would have asked me this time seven or eight months ago, I would have thought she'd be fighting for a title at this card, not fighting a newcomer to the division, coming off a stinker of a fight. You know, so this feels like a little bit of a step down. And it also feels like the UFC trying to showcase the French fighters for a possible title fight in the very near future.
1: All right. Let's uh, anything to add, Zerullo? I thought you might have had something else there. Now, French fighters are the clear A-sides in this matchup. I, I think the UFC gave them, uh, as Billy put it, matchups that set them up for title shots. And I think at minus 170 to minus 190 on both fighters, you're getting fair price. And I bet the both straight. But if you want to parlay them together, reduce your risk, I think that's perfectly fine as well.
2: Okay, fair prices are available too at Ticketmaster. Gentlemen, more memories are made when you're there for live NFL action. Billy, stop laughing. I'm in the middle of something here. And when you need tickets, Billy, our friends at Ticketmaster have got you covered as the official marketplace of the NFL. No NFL games in Paris. That would be a a treat. I would enjoy that. Ticketmaster gives you more ways to find your perfect seat, their interactive seat map. Billy, it gives you 360-degree previews of your section to make sure you have the best view of those pivotal plays. And if your plans change, Ticketmaster gives you more flexibility to sell or transfer your tickets. Plus mobile tickets make getting in on game day a breeze. And you can even customize your Ticketmaster app to rep your team's colors. Find tickets today at Ticketmaster.com slash NFL. Great to have Ticketmaster with us on the Action Network podcast. Zorillo. we transition. Again, we're breaking down the things UFC uh, for UFC Paris, an underdog that emerges. So we're talking, we talked a lot of favorites here with the, Main event, and then the fight of the night. You guys wanted the highlight
1: for the women's flyweight. What about a dog? A couple of dogs for me on this card. A couple of money line underdogs. The first, uh, the all for, the only all-French fight on this UFC Paris card, Giannis Gamori against William Gomis. Gomez very fortunate to get the split decision win in his last fight. I believe he also has a majority decision win mm-hmm. in the UFC. He's a bit of a blanket. I think Gamori just is going to make this a 50-50 fight. It's going to be close and competitive. Again, two French fighters, so the crowd ne- not necessarily going to favor either direction, uh, and you're not going to get that hometown judging when you got two French fighters going against one another. But yes, close and competitive decision. I believe this fight is also lined to go to a decision at minus 200 to minus 225, and as we always talk about, underdogs in fights likely to go to a decision. I expect this to be close and competitive, and Gomez never really separates from his opponents either. So maybe he wins this with boring top control, but I expect Gomori to make it much more competitive than the plus 175 money line would indicate. So that is one of my underdogs. And then the other one is Bogdan Guskov, a new UFC arrival, UFC debutant. Kind of tough to gauge the level of his opponents that he's fought, but I think for a light heavyweight, this guy's a pretty well-rounded skill set, brown belt and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Clear knockout power does seem like a little bit of a glass cannon, but going against Volkan Ozdemir, who to me has knockout power, but physically seems to be very much on the back end of his career. Really, his only recent win came against Paul Craig, who provided you don't get taken down and submitted or just get taken down and beat up like Andre Meniz did, you can beat Paul Craig. Anybody can beat Paul Craig, even lower-ranked fighters in the division. But Volkan Ozdemir, to me, physically declining. I think this is just going to be an absolute war, uh, You know, probably going to end inside of the first round. But again, underdog at plus money, plus 150. And I think Guskov inside the distance as well. Uh, but would not touch the under one and a half after getting juiced up from about minus minus one thirty five to minus minus one fifty. I think that cashes, but I'm not necessarily uh, going. Uh, Vulcan's been a pretty durable guy throughout his career. So these two just sort of slug it out and it gets over that seven and a half minute mark. I'm not going to be shocked, but yeah, Guskov, I think uh, just as, just as much finishing equity and he's the younger man. So I'm going to take my, the underdog money.
0: Pilly underdog that jumps out UFC Paris. Yeah, I'm looking at Reece McKee, and since I put this bet in last night, it's dropped from plus 148 to, I think, plus 140. Still like it there. This is the second UFC stint for Reese McKee. He only got two fights during the COVID era in his last uh, chance in the promotion, and his debut was against Hamzat Chemayev, who at the time was a unknown Swedish prospect that no one had ever heard of. Obviously, we know how good Hamzat has been since then, so that, that loss looks a little bit less sad in in retrospect. But since then, he went back to Cage Warriors, three consecutive knockouts, won the Cage Warriors welterweight title. You know, I've been breaking down the Contender Series fights lately, and these guys coming out of Cage Warriors, especially their champions, are consistently very solid. Like, this is not some mid-level regional promotion. This is fairly high-level stuff over there in Cage Warriors, so I put a lot of respect on their champions. And he's fighting Angelusa, who I'm very not impressed by. Angelusa, uh, 1-1 and in the UFC, his only win was against AJ Fletcher, who we could, probably debate his own ufc worthiness also a contender series loser that managed to get back into the promotion i think this line should be about flipped with mckee is roughly a minus 140 favorite so a plus 140 underdog i like that wish i would have got to it a little bit sooner before the line dropped but i'm riding with that one on to props and then we'll go to best bets before
2: we wrap uh zarillo where are you looking for props potentially this week and you mentioned a couple of uh round totals when we featured the uh the main event but uh what else stands out for a
1: potential prop play yeah about between morgan charrier the last pirate great nickname uh and Manola Zucchini, uh which is immediately one of my favorite names in the ufc uh fun you just gotta you gotta think
2: for pirates man i mean the pirates baseball and it might just be a pirate bias you got
1: I don't know if I've ever seen a you know a, an MMA fighter with pirate in the nickname. I kind of dig it, um, <laughs> especially a French pirate. But yeah, uh, you know, Zucchini is an incredibly, incredibly aggressive fighter. And I think this fight is going to finish just because he decides that he wants it to. Um, you know, anybody who tuned into the main event last week between Holloway and uh, Korean Zombie, you saw the way Korean Zombie came out in that third round and created basically, you know, as reckless of a situation as he could to try to create a high variance spot where he might be able to catch Max and got knocked out himself because he got too reckless. If you've ever played like the UFC video game, you know, if you're very patient, right, you can kind of pick apart your opponent. But if you get too reckless, people who are good at the game are going to knock you out really quickly. And Zucchini kind of fights like that. He just sort of goes balls to the wall and comes forward and tries to put his opponents and himself in high variance situations. And considering he's a three-to-one underdog here, I don't think that's necessarily a bad strategy. You know, if you can make the fight last three minutes, but give yourself a 40% chance to win in a brawl, as opposed to giving yourself a 25% chance to win just by, you know, point fighting over 15 minutes. I think that's certainly a more optimal path to take. And this guy seems to know his win condition and just goes for it. So don't think Charriere is some particularly big finisher. He's gone decision, I believe more than half the time in his career, 13 of his career fights. He's also five and eight decisions. So he's not a good point fighter either. So He might actually want to try to finish this fight as well. But Charrier is minus 105 to win inside the distance compared to a money line that's, I said, juiced up all the way to minus 350 or higher. And this fight is also minus 150 to end inside the distance. I made that line closer to minus 200. So considering the way Zucchini fights, I absolutely think he's capable of winning this one quickly. Uh, If he doesn't, I would worry about this fight potentially going all 15 minutes though. So still trying to figure out how I want to play this. If I want to play Charrier, minus 105 if i want to play the unders at plus money i think that might be a better approach because i think if a finish happens here it's more likely to happen quickly rather than later.
2: a lot to unpack there with the nickname and then mentioning the ufc video game that was that might be one of your best breakdowns yet uh to date
1: yeah good. you know in certain fights you just like you just see the pace before the fight, fight starts and you're like these these two guys are just going to sort of sprint at each other and swing um so minus 150, I don't think is a bad price given the pace, but I, I just like, I hate placing these bets that you lay juice on a fight to end inside the distance. And there's like three knockdowns and it goes to the final bell. There's, there's you know, there's no worse sweat in MMA betting than betting a fight to go to a decision, but there's nothing worse to watch than having a fight to end inside the distance and they survive like an absolute war for 15 minutes. So.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. Those of you that need uh, hype music... You can listen to Pirates of the Caribbean, the soundtrack, uh, to get hyped for this one. Billy, uh, what jumps out to you in the prop market for
0: UFC Paris? Yeah, it's hard to recover from that uh, description by Zerillo. I, I will say real quick, <laughs> he mentioned the video game, but there's guys, and I was one of them, who fight like that where I, someone's going to win this real fast. I'm not sure who it's going to be, but I just want to get out of here. So that was that was a lot of my fight career, especially. For what it's worth,
2: I would, wa- I would pay – watch Zerillo and Billy Ward face each other in a UFC video game, <laughs> taking all of okay. their analysis into account and
1: how they go against each other. Cause
2: I, I'm Zerillo, Zerillo, are you a video game guy?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, not during, uh, you know, the past six months during baseball season, but yeah, a uh, little bit of Madden, a little bit of FIFA, uh, mm-hmm. you know, former, former university of Miami campus champion in FIFA. Uh, get out of so here. You know, I've got some skills. Uh, wow. yeah, mostly, uh, Mostly FIFA, Madden, a little bit of NHL. Because it, it kind of it sounded like in your breakdown, you're, it was kind of a dig, like, well, you know, when you play people that don't know what they're doing. Uh... No, 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 I'm, I'm, not, I'm the guy who doesn't know what he's doing. You know, oh. I, I'm the guy who, like, tries to create the high variance fight and gets knocked out by people who are better than me. So, I, you know, oh, okay. I wish I was better at uh, fighting video games. I just don't seem to have the timing that other people do. So Okay, so I c- couldn't help myself. I can see the, the whole field for... in soccer, but, yeah, one-on-one fight, I'm going to get picked apart.
2: We, we rarely go off the rails on this podcast. We're pretty, uh, we're pretty on the nose with everything. Go go ahead, Billy. Prop, please.
0: Yeah, no worries. Um, I'm looking at Clayton Rodriguez at books where you can bet a spread plus three and a half. And just as a reminder, that basically means he needs the fight to go to a decision and win at least one round of a three-round fight. And I'm tempted, honestly, to bet him as an underdog against Freed Basharat. I really like that Clayton is coming up to 135 he missed weight in both of his UFC fights so far. And he also kind of wore out down the stretch of both of his UFC, well, not both of his UFC fights. One of them, he won in less than a minute. The other one, he kind of tired as it went on, but definitely won the first round. And when we have a guy who's such a fast starter, if he wins that first round, you're plus three and a half cashes as long as it makes it to a decision, which isn't too unlikely of an ask against Fareed Basharat, who's I don't think quite the fighter that his brother is. He's gone to a decision in both his contender series fight and his UFC debut. He's he's a very good fighter, but I don't think he has the power to put this one away. Also, Clayton should have a grappling edge here a little bit, or at least just enough where he can get one round and look kind of dangerous on the ground for a little bit. And we're just banking on one round. So I thought he won his split decision against CJ Vergara, which is his one UFC loss. But this guy is a really fighting some highly touted prospects. He was booked against Tetsuro Taira feels like a little bit of a back-off for him. And, yeah, we we need one round. I'm going to sprinkle a little bit on his money line and his inside the distance because I think Clayson has far more finishing upside here, which is another big part because if your fighter gets a finish and they're at a plus spread line, that's a guaranteed win as well.
2: Okay, fellas, uh, let's
1: wrap up with best bets or a final bet. What do we got this week, Zarillo? I'm thinking right with the fight that Billy just talked about, Cludson Rodriguez. You know, as a big underdog here, uh, not too long ago, before that C.J. Vergara decision loss, Cletson Rodriguez has been a consistent minus 400 favorite in his own right against his UFC opponents. And I think a lot of people thought he was a potential serious contender in the flyweight division. Now, had to move up, as Billy said, because he couldn't make weight. And he is at a size disadvantage here, even though he was a pretty big uh Pretty big 125 or even at 135 against Fareed, he's four inches, four inch reach discrepancy and three inches shorter. So there is a size advantage for Basharat. I actually disagree with Billy on uh, my analysis of the Basharat brothers. I think Fareed might be the better of the Basharat brothers, but I don't think either of them are particularly good finishers. They're really good point fighters, good wrestlers, but I don't think either of them carries particularly big power or has particularly lethal submission skills. For the Bantamweight division. And this is a very deep and talented division. Kledson, as Billy mentioned, may actually have more finishing upside in this fight. And I really love Billy's play with the plus three and a half. I think he can certainly finish this fight, cash this bet. I think he should win a round, especially the first round it should be really competitive. And the fact that he's moving up from 125 to 135 should help his gas tank too. Uh, he tends to be very aggressive in the first round. Curious to see if he takes a more conservative approach here and especially against the guy who doesn't push a particularly crazy pace. So I think we could get a, relative, or a relatively moderate pace kickboxing match in this fight where Bacherat lands takedowns, gets top time, but doesn't finish the fight. I think Rodriguez more than capable of staying safe on his back. So this fight is juiced up to go to a decision, minus 160. Another fight I lined over minus 200 in that market. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to bet this fight to go to a decision. The over two and a half I think is interesting as well even though you have to pay more juice just because you don't have to deal with the potential cardio dynamics late in the fight. But yes, I do expect a close and competitive fight and a much closer line or a much closer fight than the money line would indicate between Rodriguez and Basharat. Not as interested in taking the shot on the underdog here though, given the size discrepancy, given how I rate Basharat. But I do think this goes all 15 minutes and stays relatively competitive. And then just before uh, I turn it over to Billy for best bets, because I do want him to give any thoughts he might have on our boy Benoit Saint-Denis, who is also fighting on this card, who he cashed as a big underdog a few weeks ago. I'm considering betting Benoit at minus 160. I think pre-fight, he is the guy to bet. I think live you can come in on Tiago Moises, but I want to hear Billy's thoughts on that fight as well. That would have been my fight of the night on this card, but we have some th- we have three really good ones to close out this card with. Fioro gone and then Benoit Saint-Denis against Tiago Moises. So Billy, curious to hear your best bet, but also your thoughts on our boy BSD. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'm I'm real torn on that BSD fight because had he not just beat who we thought of as a pretty highly touted prospect in Ishmael Bonfim, I'd probably be on the other side. But I also don't like the quick turnaround, so it's tricky. I'm probably staying away from it. I haven't watched a ton of tape on Moises lately, which will probably be what I need to do before I make too strong of a decision. But minus one sixty five or so on BSD feels like a playable line. I wouldn't take it too much past that. I'm not sure if it's moved since I looked. But as far as my best bet, I'm looking at uh Nora Cornole, I believe I'm pronouncing her French last name right, at even money. And this is a final bet, it's not a best bet, but it's mostly just a fate of Jocelyn Edwards, who has used or has won two straight split decisions in the UFC. And I didn't go back and watch all of them, but looking at the stats, there's a pretty compelling argument that she could have lost one or both of those. And she's fighting a fighter who's six and one. All six of her wins are inside the distance. So when we've got a slight underdog, all the finishing upside, French crowd behind her against a fighter who's gotten considerably lucky with two splits in a row, that feels like even one even money. Don't know enough about Cornold that I'd be willing to lay too much juice on it, but at even money, I'm definitely taking that.
1: Yeah, the uh, the Edwards' last decision win against Pudilova was one of the worst uh, in recent memory. Uh, I'm on MMA decisions right now. 89% of fans and all media scorecards went to Pudalova. Wow. Uh, there were two 30, 27 media scorecards. There was a 29, 27 media scorecard in favor of Pudalova. I have no idea how Edwards won that decision. And yes, I was on Pudalova in that fight. So one of the worst decisions in recent memory. I don't think her fight before that should have been a split. That seemed like that was a clear win for her. But yeah, that that last fight uh, is about as egregious of a decision loss as you can get in the UFC.
0: And you just expect those to even out over time, but yeah. especially when you're fighting in front of your home crowd and every little thing you do is going to get a huge reaction from the crowd and influence the judges and everyone's going to be booing your opponent and not giving her any pop. So I think that's a big factor in this too. I talk about it with baseball stuff, like if a pitcher, if we're expecting regression in one direction or another with a pitcher, it's going to be more likely to happen against a team that hits that handedness well or a team that strikes out less or whatever than it is in a tough matchup form and similar logic here.
2: Gentlemen, uh great stuff. That is our UFC Paris betting preview here on the Action Network podcast. Uh that concludes really our season because we are transitioning to uh all NFL and college football here on the Action Network podcast with uh those schedules upcoming uh i i continue to learn so much from you guys hosting this show so uh greatly appreciate your insight you'll still be very much on the the ufc uh coverage as it pertains to the action app and actionnetwork.com for those big events so great stuff by sean zarillo and billy ward gents uh way to go another good year
0: thanks for everyone for listening. i had a great time with this it's it's the highlight of my summer sporting schedule with no football getting to do this
2: Okay. Appreciate Matt Mitchell, David Payne as well. They cut up the audio and put the posts, uh, the podcast out, as well as our video team over at uh, Action Network on the YouTube side. So great stuff. Uh, that concludes our UFC Paris betting preview. As I said, uh, stay tuned for a lot more coming uh, with NFL and college football as the fall begins very, very soon. For Sean Zarillo, Billy Ward, Brendan Glashine, thanks for listening to the Action Network podcast presented by FanDuel. You all have a safe and happy holiday weekend. Get outside. You don't need to play video games, Zerillo. I think it's going to be a beautiful weekend for the most part in the Northeast. And uh, maybe if it gets rainy, watch Pirates of the Caribbean. You all have a great weekend. See ya.
1: Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.